0: Hey everybody and welcome to another Step Outside podcast. You're listening to Birdie. If you saw the show on spinning for tuna, yeah, it was pretty cool. I tell you what, out there having some fun. Yeah, a few ships passing by as well. Uh, I hope you're keeping safe and well, everybody. I'm going to be giving you a bit of a tip on today on catching tuna because tuna certainly are one of those fish that can really drain your fuel tank, if you know what I mean. But also at the same time, they can really be quite scatty, a bit sketchy, the old fish. So I want to talk to you about the gear we're going to use. So this is for, I guess, peeps out there who want to learn how to catch tuna, spin for tuna. Maybe you are an accomplished tuna fisherman yourself, uh, but a couple of tips in here might help you. And of course, uh, hey, look, we're always learning, so I'm always learning, I can tell you now. Uh, Look, when it gets to the gear, because tuna are a fish that just pop up in front of your face. You see the birds diving down. It gets really... It makes your blood run, doesn't it? You sort of sit out there and you think, wow, I want to get into this. And you do. You do. You just want to race your boat over and drop your line down and just have a crack or or cast it out. Maybe you're doing a bit of jigging on them. You know, so whenever I go fishing, I always tend to have the right gear on board. I I, I like to have, I guess, if I'm going jigging, I'll take the jig sticks. I'll take a bait rod for a float liner. And then, of course, you've got your bait jig rod set up. And then, of course, you've got your spin rod. And your spin rod just sits there. Sometimes it gets used. Sometimes it doesn't. But... When you do come across that school of fish chopping the surface, the last thing you want to do is have a rod that's not set up. If it's sitting in the gun rail or up in the rocket launcher or whatever, make sure it's there for a purpose. Otherwise, it, it, it's then useless, right? If you've got a rod that's set up and it's got the right gear on it and you drive past that school of fish, the first thing you're going to be doing is casting your lure out. You're in straight away. You're hooked up. How good does your day start if that's the case? Pretty damn good, I could tell you. Alternatively, you're pulling up, you're searching for lures in your boat, you look up, time you, you haven't even got it tied on yet, and the fish have disappeared because that's how quick it can happen. So, let's get into the positive side of things by having your rod set up. So, what sort of gear are you going to have? Okay, so when it comes to reels, I like a reel that's a real workhorse. Okay, so try saying that twice real, real workhorse. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, hey, uh, yeah, so what we've got here uh, the Sienna's. And the Shimano range, are fantastic for starters. I think if you hook onto a lot of tuna, you're going to burn it out, okay? So let's push that one aside, but keep it for if you're going for flathead and all that sort of stuff, fantastic, and Brimbos. Sedona, is starting to move up, okay? Sedonas are a great, a great reel, and they're getting better and better. And I'll tell you what, I'm happy to have a Sedona in the uh, in my quiver of rods and reels that I use, and I do use them in the estuaries. But when we start moving offshore, your neck saves... Great estuary again, but we're going for the tuna, something that's super fast and it's just going to rip up you know fifty yards of line off you just like that. So we start moving into the stratics, the Vanfords, and the sustains. Okay, they're a gro- they are amazing reels. Uh, put those things through the test, and they are amazing. So your stratic, your Vanford, and sustain. Sustain is incredible. The FJ five thousand hard to go past. But there is one reel in the Shimano category that I love. And it is the workhorse of workhorses. This thing is the draft horse. Okay. This is the one that just goes low and slow and does not fault. And it's called the Saragosa. The Saragossa is just an absolute brilliant reel. Okay. It's got all the attributes that you need. You can cast a long way with it. And it's got a fantastic drag, lots of ball bearings. But the Saragossa for me is a reel that I know is going to be I can use it out in the coral sea. I could use it out just off the estuary. So I can use it for catching dewfish with live baits. So I can do anything you want with that. It's a really good reel. And also, you can jig with it. Putting that onto the right rod has got to be essential as well. So I like to go... Look, the thing is, it depends on the size of the tuna that you're catching, right? So if you're going for a tuna that's going to be, say, a, I don't know, you don't know what's going to pop up in front of you, remember? So it could be a three kilo tuna or it could be a 10 kilo tuna. Now, I'm not putting this out to target specifically 20 or 30 kilo tunas. Okay, this is not what this one's about. This is about just catching tuna that are, you know, fun. You're in the bay, you're heading out or maybe just on the close offshore grounds and all these birds are going nuts. Obviously, if you're going out further, out to the shelf and you see the big yellowfin popping up that are, you know, 40, 50, 60 kilos, you're not going to be running any of that lighter gear. You're going to be running a Saragossa 20,000. Okay, you're not going to run a 5,000. You're not going to run 20 pound braid on it. You're going to be running 50-pound or 60-pound or braid. So this is common sense, okay? So the reels, we've, we've crossed that up. I love to use the Saragosas for me, 10 out of 10. Now when we get to the rods, again, you, you've got your Sienna rods. And the Sienna rods are a fantastic match for the Sienna reel. And yes, you can catch like a two or three kilo little Mac tuner on it. And that is going to be a ball terror, a lot of fun. Again, we're pushing that back into the estuary. Same with the squidgy rods; you can use them offshore, but they're fantastic estuaries. When we start to get into the revolution rods, okay, we're starting to move into that next barrier, the next range, the Raider rods. Gee, they've been around for a long time, and the reason for that is they're so bloody good. Now, the Zodius rods are a, are a new kettle of fish. Love the Zodius, okay? These things are—they haven't got that hypalon in front, the foregrip. They're, they're just a super light graphite composite stick. These things are just absolute brilliant. You can, you can cast everything on these things because it's so light. It's like whipping a little piece of pasta in the air. You can't even feel it, you know what I mean? But the Therese rods, Therese is that next level as well. Okay. So my rod kilogram rating that I like to use are three to five kilo, and then you go four to six kilo, and then you go six to eight kilo in that range, okay? So if that's a sort of outfit that you want to get in, okay, say you're running a 5000 size reel, then you probably push it into say that 4 to 6 or 6 to 8 kilo. And that's going to be a really good match. Now, when we start to get into the rod bending, the action, the fulcrum, the 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 powerhouse of pulling these fish back, you need to understand that if you can, the rod tip's going to be super flexy, not as in spaghetti, Right, but it's got to have some ability to really bend over. But as you come halfway down the rod towards the, say from the second runner back down towards the reel seat, that part of the rod's got to stay quite rigid, okay? Because that's the powerhouse. That's the pulling action that's going to get that fish back to you. Yeah, you're going to be pulling drag, you're going to be towing the fish out, absolutely, but you need to get that fish back and you need a rod that's going to have that ability to get it back to the boat with ease, okay, without breaking. So that's your that's the sort of rod I'd be looking for, that Zodius Therese Raider sort of style. Your line class. Now, because we're running a 5,000 size reel or approximately, 4,000 if you want, you'd want to be going 20 pound, okay, 20 pound braid. You could go 15 pound if you wanted to, but not my kettle of fish. 15 pound is great for one and two kilo fish. We're sort of looking at fish between that five and, you know, maybe four and sort of, you know, 10 kilo, something like that would be good, or 15 kilo would be a a cracker on this gear. So the light class 20 pound, you can go 30 pound, but that may change, if you know what I mean, when it comes to the lure's weight, because if you've got a really light lure, which you're going to get into that shortly, if you go into a really light lure, then 30 pound braid is going to be too heavy to come off the rear. You're not going to get the distance because sometimes these fish will sit further away from the boat and if you get close to them, they're going to sound and go away and you've wasted your time. So you, I think 20 pounds is a pretty cool line class, okay? And um, just make sure you've got plenty of it, okay? And your real 5,000 size reel will hold uh, 300 yards easy. So fluorocarbon leader. You've got to run fluorocarbon. It's highly non-abrasive. Uh, it, it's super clear in the water and it ties really well. Now, when you go in there to, say, an anaconda store and you're going to be looking through your your leader section, you're going to be finding supple, and you're going to be seeing tough. Now, I love to use the Black Magic. Okay, it's great. Tiagra is an awesome game fishing uh, leader that we use um, obviously from Shimano, but the uh, Black Magic I find is super cool, super cool. Now, you've got like 15 to 20 pound, okay, you could go 30 pound, that'd be your three that you run, so you don't just, you're not just going to take one out there. Now, this is where I was saying before with your leader, sorry, your braid going onto your line, if it's 20-pound braid, it's fine. It's in the middle. If you go 30-pound, you're not really going to be pushing 15-pound fluorocarbon leader on it. And then you're going to be running, say, a 10-gram lure. Two, it it just doesn't match. But this is the sketchy part of tuna fishing, right? Because if you don't have the right lure and the right match the hatch, it ain't going to work. Trust me. You'll be casting all day long, and if you drop that lure size by half a centimetre, to suit the bait fish, you're going to hook up immediately. It's that finicky. So I think if you run like a, say, 20-pound, uh, would be good, 20-pound fluorocarbon leader. If you want to go tough trace, tough trace is really rigid. It's a rigid sort of line, therefore it doesn't give the lure the action. Okay, You've got to have action in this. So I'd love to use supple in that case. So I'd be going supple 20-pound, but also keep a spool of 30 in there and Maybe a school a spool of fifteen in there, just in case. So you, if you're going to drop your lure size, you can and uh, alter your weight of your fluorocarbon. Now, leader length. <laughs> yeah, this is this is different. Okay, so if you're running a uni knot, maybe a double uni knot going from your braid to your leader, maybe an Albright knot. Okay, these knots are a little bit chunky. Therefore, you do not you do not want to put that leader knot through the runner you will flick your lure off eventually. For some reason, it just comes apart. So you want to make sure that the leader knot is outside the first runner. Therefore, if you're casting your lure, what are you going to keep? Maybe a two foot below the rod tip down to your lure? Therefore, you only want two foot a leader, okay? You don't want to run three or four or five feet if your lure is sitting you know, two foot below the rod tip because that knot will get caught up and it will come undone eventually. Unless you're running an FG knot. Now, an FG knot, man, these things are great. Okay, learn how to tie them. They're super, super thin, slim line, and castable. And what that means is you could run two or three meters, wind the, the leader onto your reel, and that that knot is going to easily glide through the runners. Okay, if you don't know how to tie it, simple, Google it. Work it out. Um so there you have it. If you're running a uni knot or an Albright knot, because those knots are really, 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 really quick to tie. You can tie them at night time. You can don't even need light. You just go by the feel of your fingers and you'll work it out. So the uni knot and Albright knot, great knots, but um, only a short leader. So if you're running, the, of course, the FG, you can run. Generally, a rod length is enough. Okay, so say so six feet. Set your drag. Okay. A lot of people just get the reel out of the box so they've got the reel sitting at home. Generally, you back your drag off when you've got your reel sitting at home in the, in the shed or in the garage or maybe in your bedroom if you're that way inclined. So you want to uh, make sure it's about a third of the braking strain of the line. Okay, not another leader, the line. Got to be wary here, okay? So if we're running, for example, 30-pound braid, okay? A third of that's 10 kilos. Let's go back to the rod now. The rod is six to eight kilos. So that's that's less than a third, if you know what I mean. So you could break the rod. So this is why the drag super important. I like to use that 20-pound scenario again, 20-pound braid, because a third of that is going to be, you know what, say it's a 10-kilo stick, you're going to be looking at about three, three kilos on of drag pressure on your reel, and that's going to be enough to pull the line out, but also enough not to break the rod and put too much pressure on it. And this is why we use the rod that's got plenty of fulcrum. Power from that first, second runner back down to the reel. That stiffness in the rod there, but the light castability on the tip. Okay? That's why it all it's all going to match in. So when it comes to that, you've set your drag. It's a nice... Generally, once you get used to setting your drag, you'll take a wrap around your hand and you'll just pull it off the reel. And, and it comes with experience. This does in the end. You'll work out and go, yep, that's perfect. i got it. But also understand your reel. For example, the Saragosas are highly tuned. So what that means is that if you've taken a wrap on your reel with your hand and you think, yeah, the drag's great, and the next minute you uh, you cast out, you hook onto a decent tuner, and he's running away, he's swimming away at 100 mile an hour, and you grab your, your, leader, or your uh, drag knob on your reel and you do it a, a quick turn, then what happens, that quick turn can easily add another four or five kilos of pressure straight away and boom, your fish is gone, you've broken up. Okay, so you want to make sure that you're, you're real when you do the drag knob. Each increment of turn, there'll be a click on that. Every click is a little bit more drag pressure. So work out that you only want to do like two or three clicks to get that little bit more to slow that fish down. Okay, so just work that out before you actually do it. Understand that you don't need to go right around on your drag knob because you will lose your fish if it does up too tight. So there you go. Now, lures. haha. <laughs> match the hatch recently on that on that fishing trip you saw on on step outside if you watched it is uh before the the um (laughs) the ship honked its horn is that the bait fish were all balling up we had the drone up you can see the bait fish balling up and then the tuna went nuts okay now i started out running a lure that was around 25 grams and i thought yep this lure is perfect i looked at it yep it's great but the fish they were reading were, were smaller. The fish they were reading. Now, this lure was around, say, three and a half, four centimetres. Call it four centimetres. And I thought, yep, that's enough. And I cast. I cast for half an hour, chasing these schools, putting the lure over the school, and then winding it in. Nothing. Zero. Changed lure. Went down to about a two and a half centimetre lure. Instantly. First hookup, bang. First cast, straight on. Incredible. So this is why we say match the hatch. And when we got it in, the tuna threw up all over the, Drew and all over the boat, and the bait fish were exactly the same size as the lure we were running. Okay, It's the same deal as bigger fish, and that's a massive, massive difference. We'll get into that shortly. I want to talk a little bit about that after as well. So you want to make sure that you're going to match the hatch. Now, the lures that I like to use, you've got to think about a lure that's going to be, these fish are fast. Okay, so a low, slow wobble may not work if you need to get your lure back in quick because it's going to put, it just takes too long to get back in. So you'd want a lure that's going to be pretty fast action. Now the Raider lures, steady spin, yeah, great, steady spin, but you want fast. So you need, you need streamlined lures. A lure that looks like a fish. I love the Gillies Baitfish Profiles. Now those lures are the bomb. They are so good. Gilly's bait fish profile: silver, ten gram up to twenty-five gram. Now the silver one looks like a bait fish. It's pearl white and it's got a big, bit of green luma on the underbelly. A, a bloody brilliant lure. Okay, you can get them up the forties and sixty grams. Yep, they're great as well for Taylor bigger tuna. Okay, because if the fish eating are eating a pilchard, then you're not going to cast a lure in that's the size of a peanut. Okay, you want to go the size of the pilchard. If the fish are eating the size of a fish that's the size of a peanut, then you're not going to cast a lure the size of a pilchard. They're not going to eat it. (laughs) All right? So there you go. we work worked that one out. Um, And the Gillies pilchard profile, uh, 60 gram. They're great, again, for that larger size. They just look real. Go and check them out at your local anaconda stores. Stick baits also work. Very visual. Um, And the reason for that is you can see the lure coming across the surface you'll get the fish on the take so the fish will rip out of that school and he'll chase that lure across the surface these are for generally bigger tuna because you know we're going in that little bit bigger lure so things like your orca flash boost your sardine balls colt snipers from Shimano, that those those surface lures are amazing in the right situation okay but in this case i'm going to be running the medals because This time of the year, we see a lot of, uh, you know, coming into that sort of end of summer, into autumn, even during winter. Hell, it could be any time of the year you go out there and you see these birds diving in and fish busting up, and that's why you want your rod ready, okay? So that's exactly what you need to do. So when it comes to setting your drag, you've done that, which is perfect. You're about to put your lure into the water. So when you are fishing, you come across a bait ball and the fish are going nuts on it. My suggestion is if you don't know what you're doing, don't go straight into it. Okay, (laughs) definitely don't do that. It'll sound. Now, the fish have really acute senses. Therefore, they're they're going to sound. They'll take off. They'll come down. You won't see them. They'll pop up a kilometre away from you. You start your boat. You fly up there. Time you get there, they're down again. They come up a kilometre away. They'll drain your tank of fuel, and you'll get absolutely frustrated. So what you need to do here is work out what they're doing. Take note of what nature's doing. Fish, these fish will generally swim or feed into the wind. That's right, into the wind. If there's no wind and it's a dead glass out day, they should just sit there. They'll do a slow move around, but they'll sit in that area. But if you're going to find that the wind is up, go upwind, shut your engine down, shut your sounder down, all electronics, and be quiet. Don't drop stuff on the floor because, again, they could sound. And that what that means is they go down. So you want to be super quiet and just watch what they're doing. Okay, Now you're upwind. You've shut your engine down. You're in direct line. These fish are 50 metres, 100 metres, 50 metres. Now they're coming to 20 metres. They're right next to you. You can cast into that straight away. Cast over the school okay, in, on a leading edge, not meaning cast over behind them all right? because the time you wind lure, they're feeding into the wind. You, you, you missed them. So you want to cast over the school on, on the leading edge, and that way when you retrieve, you're coming straight through the centre of the school and you're going to get a hook up if you're running the match, the hatch, the right size look. Now, you might be thinking, hang on for a sec. I don't even know what size bait these things are eating. I haven't seen them. All I can see is these fish chopping. And I think that's why if you go, say, that 25-gram lure, you're going to be in the, in the region because it's a mediocre size. But if the fish are not eating that, okay, and they're sort of a little bit smaller tuna because they're not really big things jumping out of the water, drop your lure size. Go down to 10 or 15-gram, okay? And if they're not eating and they're bigger fish, then obviously I think you'll get a hook up on that 25 gram. Alternatively, head on up to the next level up, which would be about that 40 gram mark. Okay, so that'll make a, a big thing for you. Move around the school. What that means is basically don't sit there and just cast straight out into the school. Okay, move around them. Don't go straight through the school with a boat because you're going to put them down again. You need to, to drive around the school. Let them feed. Let them know that you're not there. Okay, let them think that they're by themselves and you're going to get that hook up again. So all of this stuff really does help. Shut down your engine electronics. we have gone through that because you, you put your head under the water and you're going to be hearing this noise. That's the tick of the transducer sending out all the beams, particularly um, you know, if you're in shallow water depth. It doesn't matter water, water depth. You're going to hear it. So shut that down. Again, fish can be super sketchy and you don't want that. Um, cast over the school. Don't dry, Don't wind straight in. Let it sink a bit. Okay, let the lure down a bit. If you just flick it across the surface, it's going to be bouncing around. Remember, bait fish aren't really bouncing across us. They're not flying fish. <laughs> They're not flying fish. They're fish that are sitting sort of just under the water. The the, the tune of balled up all this bait. And of course, what's happening there is you're just going to sit back and go bang, bang, cast your lure out, let it sink down three seconds. That's all you need. And then keep your rod tip down a touch and then just crank. Alter the retrieve, alter the wind. If you do that, you're going to do justice. You'll hook up straight up. Once hooked up, play the fish. Don't high-stick it, okay? Let the, the fish run. He's going to take a 25, 30, 50, 75-meter run straight away, and he's going to go hard. So make sure your rod is on that 40, maybe 30 to 40-degree angle knocked in onto your belly. If you want, you can run a cushion. The cushions are a – you don't need a gimbal belt on these. Put a cushion. The cushion is basically a bit of foam goes over your rod butt, and then you can put that on your belly, okay? Super, super comfortable. Really, really good. Um, so, have fun. All right, let the fish run, but also don't lift your rod tip above that sort of seventy degree, seventy five degree mark, and then sort of lean back because that's high sticking, and you're gonna you're gonna lose rods. Rods will break straight away, and that's not cool. So, get the fish in. Once you get the fish in, back to the boat. Okay, um, you've got to watch out for sharks straight away. Okay, if you if you hook up and your fish goes diving down, diving down, diving down. And, he's, and his head's, you know, your, your rod tip's doing the the constant jerk, dun, 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 the rod tip's moving, is that's him trying to get away. And, and then if it just goes like a heavy weight and then it starts to swim away, that's a shark, all right? The first thing you want to do there is just lock it up and, and get your line back and tie on another lure. You're not going to win in this situation. You might get the head back, but that's it, okay? It's, sometimes it's, you know, take a photo or something, but otherwise, no, just... Uh, Get your line back and uh, and tie if you can. That'll be a, a good thing. Um Mac tuna is generally the, the most common fish that you will catch in these in these schools. Now, people do eat them. Uh, they're, they're very bloody. Not my cup of tea, I'll be honest with you. Great bait for snapper and pearlies and stuff like that and hammerjacks and cod. Um, really good bait. So if, if you're fishing on your way out to the reef and you catch a mac tuna, yeah, great. Bleed it first, otherwise you're going to end up with a lot of blood all over your boat. Now, when you bleed them... You're going to cut the tails in and around the, their throat. Okay, get all the blood out of the fish, and then just put it in your in an esky or hang it over the side for a second or maybe whatever. Just get rid of the blood, and then put it in the in the ice. But if you're catching a fish that you want to eat, okay, say we're talking yellowfin or longtail. Now, longtail are an amazing fish. They look like a yellowfin in a way, a little bit longer on the tail section, obviously, hence the name, I guess. But what they do have this is, is this amazing ability to overheat. And what that means is that if you're catching this fish on 20 pound braid, right, and you're running 20 pound fluorocarbon liter and you've miraculously hooked onto a 20 kilo fish, yep, yellow uh, long tails will get that big knot problem. Right. It's gonna take you a bit of while to get him in, but geez, it's gonna be fun. But the eating quality can really diminish. Now the reason for that is the fish overheats. They actually cook from the inside out, from the bone out. They overheat. So you've got to try and get these fish back in. Do you drag up those couple of little clicks more, right? So it still pulls out, but just that little bit more pressure to tire him. And try and get him back. That means you may have to follow him in the boat. If you're land-based fishing, then you may have to do some rock hopping. But you want to follow this fish. getting back in. Once you've got him back to the boat, again, those three bleeding spots. Tail, both sides, down to the tail. And also under his throat. You can also do behind his pectoral. On either side, just stab the knife in around his pectoral, give it a bit of a wiggle on both sides. Wherever you can get the the blood drained away from the backbone of the fish is going to be a better eating quality fish, okay? Put it straight on ice. If you've got a a brain spike, you can get those at anaconda, spike him as well so there's no (coughs) on the floor because that'll bruise the meat, all right? So you want to make sure that they're super, super, super chilled into the ice and that'll give you a better eating quality straight away. Now, when you fillet your fish, I like to take the – I love the shoulder section. The, pardon me. The shoulder section is the part that goes from the back of the head down towards the tail. It's that long piece of meat across the top of the backbone. Below the backbone around in the belly area, nah. Nah, crab pot. <laughs> That's not my cup of tea, all right? I don't like that part of any fish, really. That's just my personal choice. You can go down to the tail section and maybe get from the anal fin to the tail and just fill up that part off and use that for pan frying. Beautiful. Really nice. So from, again, the anal fin to the tail, fill up that part. But the top shoulder section is going to go, you know, from that sort of that above the backbone. That, that's red hot. That's really good. And there's so many ways you can cook that. And for me, you can do it sashimi, which is no cooking, just raw, a little bit of soy sauce, of course, a little bit of um, you know wasabi if you want some heat, and just cut it thinly, super thin when you get home. Do it out in the boat if you wanted to, but uh, you have got to make sure that obviously you've got the right stuff to go with it, such as uh, soy sauce, good soy sauce, and uh, and wasabi if you want that little bit of extra heat. It's really nice to make it, have it fresh, and of course a bit of ginger would be nice too, some thinly sliced ginger. But I like to have <laughs> I like to have seared tuna. Seared tuna is amazing. If you've never had seared tuna, try it. I'm going to give you a quick recipe here, okay? So what I like to do is I like to have my shoulder sections and I'll cut them into around, you want that, it's probably about, might be say 30 centimetres long, okay? And it's it's like a fillet. It's like a fillet of beef. It's round, okay? It's that shoulder. What you want to do is just keep that length of 30 centimetres, maybe 20 if you want, and then you're going to put it in a bag because we need to marinate this a little bit, okay? You put it in a bag when you get home. It's It's been on ice. You fill it, take the shoulder off. Put it in a bag. Now, in the bag, you're going to put some soy sauce, like two tablespoons of soy sauce, not a lot. Some sesame oil. Love sesame oil, so good, all right? You want like a tablespoon or something. Probably like a, a tablespoon of honey. Put the honey in there, mix it around, all right? Mix it all around first. And then you want a little bit of salt, Okay, not a lot of salt, just a little bit, maybe like a half a teaspoon or something. A little bit of cayenne pepper and some normal pepper, like a quarter of a teaspoon of each. Okay, just gives it that little bit of heat. So normal pepper is going to give it the bit of colouring as well, but the cayenne pepper gives it that little bit more heat to it, but not a lot because we're only using a little bit. Okay, so in the bag, you've got your, your marinade mix. It's all mixed together. You can mix it in a bowl beforehand if you like put your steaks in there and then completely coat it. And that means turning it over, get it all, you know, black and brown because of the color of the soy sauce all over the steak. All right, and then refrigerate it for about 10 minutes. Let it marinate, minimum 10 minutes. If you want to do it perfect, you're going to run it for overnight. Do it in the afternoon, let it go overnight and pull it out next afternoon and cook it. Bloody beautiful. So what we're going to do here as well is get a pan. Now we've pulled it out the next day or ten minutes later, whatever you want. You want to yeah, your pan's got to be hot. Three minutes, maybe five minutes of getting some really good heat on it. Okay, non-stick's got to be about a minute or two. All right, so cast iron you're going to let it heat up. If it's non-stick, you're going to go less. So less for non-stick, minute or two. Cast iron three to five. All right, depends on how thick the metal is on your on your pan. You'll know your pan. In your pan, you're going to put a little bit of canola oil, about a tablespoon, okay? You're going to put the tuna, not all the all the marinate with it, just the tuna, into that hot pan, okay? Then you're just going to let it sit for about a minute, maybe a minute and a half, because now you're thinking you've got this, it's a cube, all right? It's a cube, this shoulder. So now we're going to flip it to the other side, and then we're going to flip it to the other side, okay? And then we're going to take it out. So if you want it that medium rare, which a lot of people want, it's about a minute and a half on each side. You want to leave it for three minutes on a cutting board. Just let it rest. Let everything just chill out inside that meat. And then you're going to sl- thinly slice it into about, oh, not too thin, probably half an inch. That's a bit thicker than thin. Half an inch, and that'll, you'll find that the outsides of the tuna will be cooked in perfectly, and in the middle will still be raw. And it's going to be amazing put some green onions, toasted sesame seeds on top, and if we want, a little bit of squeeze of fresh lime juice. Well, there you have it. That's my favourite way to do seared tuna. You've gone out, you've caught it, you've done justice, you've either let him go, taken a photo, you've hooked up, you've had fun, and there you go. I hope this uh, podcast has helped everyone because it's certainly interesting and I love talking about it. That's what I'd do if I went fishing and hopefully next time you go out, if you've never done it, give it a crack. And we'll see you next week when we step outside. Take it easy, everybody.